Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thanks for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up here on today's program, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. We're going to talk markets, recap the November WASDE report numbers that leaned pretty bearish for the grains. Chris Robinson with Robinson Ag Marketing going to join us in just a second. Coming up in segment two, we're going to talk with North Dakota Grain Growers Association President Ed Kessel as they applauded the recent Chlorpyrifos decision in the courts. What does that mean for growers? We're going to talk about that, a few other issues on his mind coming up in segment two. Then at the bottom of the hour in segment three, we are going to catch up with Jackie Fatka, associate editor with AgriPulse. What's going on in Washington, D.C.? Farm bill? Are we going to get a one-year extension? Are we going to get a new five-year farm bill done sometime early next year? Government shutdown in front of us as well. We're going to get all the details from Jackie coming up here in just a little while. And I'll have a look at some of the other news headlines in agriculture to wrap up today's program. Well, first up, kicking things off, I mentioned uh, the USDA WASDE report for November out on Thursday gave us a, a pretty bearish result across the board. Let's talk about that and what's going on in the markets right now. Chris Robinson with Robinson Ag Marketing joining us here on AOA. Chris, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, good morning, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Well, Chris, let's dive in and talk about this WASDE report. And um, man, oh man, uh, we saw the reaction in the markets post-report uh, record corn crop predicted by USDA, raising that yield almost two bushels an acre. Soybeans uh, taking a bit of a hit in Thursday's trade. And now we come in here to uh, round out the week, it looks like, with a pretty quiet market overall. What's your assessment, though, of that WASDE report and what USDA had to say on Thursday? Well, the soybeans, I mean, they, they increased it by 25 million bushels. You wouldn't think that 25 million bushels would take away 48 cents of the rally. We had a beautiful rally heading into that report. Beans had rallied at $1.14. People were getting excited. Funds were getting long. And to have that reaction to just 25 million extra bushels, kind of surprising. Uh, they have stabilized a bit. That's the one positive thing. We've, we've given it back about, about 30, 40% of that rally. But the corn, I think that was the big surprise. It increased the yield, you know, 170 million extra bushels. They increased the carryout you know 2.15 it's it's the biggest carryout we've had in five years and i think that is if there's anything that surprised people it's that i think a lot of people had thought that the yields were going to be lower at some point and we just never got that you know reality is set in but so with a 2.156 billion bushel carryout um that translates to the stocks to use ratio of 15 percent historically you know with the stocks to use ratio when there was that much extra corn um, you're looking at, you know, 425 corn to 350 corn. So that would probably be the worst case scenario here, uh, you know, as we grind through the rest of the year. So disappointing, uh, uh, to say the least. Um, if you're looking for any silver lining, it's the fact that, you know, today here, while corn is making new lows, corn's made a new low here, new 28-month low as I'm talking to you, you do have soybeans rolling down two cents. So if you're looking for a silver lining, 
it's uh, a little bit better in the beans, but the corn looks like it. there might be a little bit more pressure to go, unfortunately. And I was going to say, breaking through in the corn market, hitting those new lows again, and, and really kind of, you draw that trend line from back in July and August and, and to now, and it, it to, you, you hit it on the head. I think a lot of producers are probably concerned now that this corn market is going to slip down uh, and possibly try to go test some support here at the 450, 440 level in Dees corn. It would seem like that'd be maybe the next target, if not further down than that, Chris. Yeah, we've seen that. What these markets start to do when there's a, you know, a fundamental story, then they start chasing old lows. And, um, you know, we always talk about money flow, too. We won't get a commitment of traders this week because of the holiday, but next week we'll get an updated. But we knew going into this, the, the funds were short corn and long soybeans, and uh, that was a pretty big um, an issue. So it looks like the... That's another thing. Now you've got money flow, and you're right. Well, now we kind of will go test the old low, see if that holds, test the old low, see if that holds. At some point, we'll find a bid. But, um, you know, I think for anybody that certainly thought they were going to store it and forget it, um, you know, make sure you get a floor under it. Don't sit here like a deer in the headlights. You know, it's, it's, I wish you'd have done something, you know, three, four, five weeks ago. But certainly, you know, try and get, get some sort of hedge here if you're sitting on unpriced corn because trying to guess the low, that's not a real good business decision. Just, you know, get a hedge on and hope that, um, you know, we get some sort of recovery. Um, hopefully, probably the, the, the one thing that would make us recover would be a South American weather issue or a real mm -hmm. demand issue because, you know, we've got a lot of corn to chew through, unfortunately, that 2.1 billion bushel carryout. And that's a great point. South America weather, I think, is going to be the, the big focus here. And uh, we watch it to see if weather challenges continue in Brazil. Things looking hot and dry in the forecast for center and uh, northeast of Brazil in the next 10 days or so. Chris, I want to ask you uh, cattle market real quick as well. We had a rough, rough day on Thursday. Coming back in on Friday, kind of mixed, trying to maybe find some sort of support or uh, maybe, you know, these markets got a little oversold, so trying to buy back a little bit. What's your assessment, though, of this recent uh, drop in this cattle market overall? Yeah, we, we had a, a tremendous rally for 15 months. It was, a, you know, we people could, kept trying to, a lot of people lost a lot of their money trying to call the top, right? So the, to have such a severe correction, though, uh, that's that, that I think that caught a lot of people flat footed. When you have a 15 month rally, it's easy to get complacent and say, well, it's just going to keep going, keep going. That's the problem with these commodity markets. When they correct, they correct sharply and violently. And um, uh, so, what have we done? Well, technically, we've given back, you know, 30, 40, 50%. With the feeder cattle, we've given back 60%. So maybe, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're seeing a flush here and a, and a reset. Um, you know, nothing fundamentally has changed. We did get pretty high placements on the last cattle on feed, but you know, for 15 months we had bearish cattle on feed markets, and the market didn't care. So it was just like it was the final straw. People needed a reason to to liquidate, and I think you caught a lot of producers. I talked. I talked to a lot of other brokers, a lot of other producers. I think some some producers maybe got caught here. They weren't hedged because for 15 months you hadn't needed to. So, again, uh, rather than, um, you know, say woulda, coulda, shoulda, take a look at where you're at now. Um, you know, feeder cattle at 226 in January, and you've got fat cattle at least holding here at 175, 174 in the, uh, the, the live cattle. 
Uh, that may be a bit of a breather, but certainly, you know, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is, you know, rather than try and guess where the top's going to be if you're a producer because you're always long, just make sure you've got some some uh, protection on to the downside. Now, flip side, you know, is this an opportunity? If you're a cow-calf operator and you're going to have to buy cows, buy calves, you know, in the next six, eight months, this is an opportunity for you to say, okay, maybe I can get those um, those those babies cheaper you know, down the line. So um, there's always a silver lining. I know it's hard when you have a, we get absolutely hammered like this in the cattle market. But I would say uh, two takeaways is this is why we hedge, and this is why we also uh, you know, keep our eyes over the horizon. So yep. hopefully we'll get a recovery. Yep. As I've been speaking to you now, we've got a good bid in feeders. We'll Chris, we'll have, to, we'll have to cut it there. We're out of time here on AOA. Thanks for joining us, Chris Robinson with Robinson Ag Marketing. Back with more right after this. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding, and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director Nancy Martinez. Think about this. Funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output produced by ag exports was over 300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SMD are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs. So the return on investment is over 24 to one. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours, at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people. A neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. 
Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Well, recently we saw the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals allow producers to use chlorpyrifos here moving forward uh, with a recent ruling just about a week or so ago. Here to talk about that and other issues, joining us now, the president of the North Dakota Grain Growers Association, Ed Kessel's with us. Ed, great to talk with you. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Jesse, thanks for having me on. Well, let's start with that chlorpyrifos ruling, and I know that this is something that I think a lot of growers are, are very happy to see being able to use uh, chlorpyrifos once again, barring any changes down the road. Talk about the decision by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and and uh, I'm sure, again, good news for many growers, especially growers uh, in North Dakota, too. Uh, it is good news. I mean, we've we anytime you lose one of those uh, important pesticides, it, it makes you wonder, you know, where you're going to go from for there. So, I mean, hopefully things continue on and, and we do get it back, of course, uh, after pulling the label and this and that. I imagine registrants are going to be a little bit hesitant on, on bringing this back anytime soon mm-hmm. would be my guess. But, you know, as we look at it, the, the ruling uh, shows that eggs had so many losses in, in the courts that to get to get one win is sure nice to have it under your belt, too. Well, and you bring up a good point is that it's it's nice to get the ruling and it's good news for farmers, but I just wonder how readily available is chlorpyrifos going to be? How many companies are going to make it available uh, with still maybe some uncertainty or higher court challenges that could come down the line, et cetera? I think that's a good question to ask, Ed. Yeah, and that's the thing. And it seems like, you know, going forward, registrants are, are less likely to push back on EPA on certain on, on products that they have there. So as in the ag sector, we've had to do, I guess, more of that work and in, in trying to to get EPA to keep these these tools that we have. Uh, you know, they there is always other options out there, but of course those options don't work all the time and, and they're usually they're gonna be a more expensive option. So mm-hmm. as these insecticides we're looking at, you know, uh Chlorpyrifos was was just another another mode of action that, and we've become reliant on, you know, for the most part, uh, very few very few modes that we have available. So to yeah. get this to get this one is going to be important. Very true. Well, and you mentioned it, and you kind of alluded to it. A lot of the uh, regulation from the EPA, a lot of this federal regulation. I know the uh, North Dakota Grain Growers Association. You guys uh, submitted some comments on EPA's herbicide strategy and i think this ties in well with chlorpyrifos what exactly is going on there ed well epa had settled another lawsuit that uh with the endangered species act uh to satisfy some of the the environmental groups out there and and they're trying to create this strategy that um puts them into compliance with the endangered species act and of course when when they're trying to implement this this plan, it's it's a national plan, and there's so many regions uh, across the U.S. and even in North Dakota, there's a lot of regions how farming varies and, and dif- differentiates. and And the concern is 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 it's going to be uh, just another practice practice to kind of regulate us out of the use of, of some pesticides and, and herbicides. So we we submitted our comments in there and. and 
tried to uh, explain to EPA how, you know, some of this isn't going to work. I mean, a lot of what EPA is doing on the on the herbicide plan is simply farming practices and in buffers and cover crops and no-till and and uh, different other aspects on um, farming practices and mm-hmm. and you know it, it sounds wonderful but there's certain years where you might even we're in a no-till farm on, on my operation there's certain years that we need to do tillage um, whether we like to or not whether it's ruts or or just certain environment uh, practices uh, nutrient stratification has become an issue and all of a sudden if I have to do that practice and I got to watch you know what pesticides I use it it makes it very difficult and it almost regulates them out of out of use. It does. It does. And it's something that I would say folks who are, are curious about this or want their voice to be heard, they need to reach out and and talk to their, you know, congressional folks or reach out and submit comments to the EPA, et cetera. There's a there's a lot of things uh, that people could do by by speaking up and speaking out, can't they, Ed? Well, and that's the one thing. And the biggest thing farmers need to become uh informed about this uh this new plan that's going into effect by spring and and it's going to change it's not just a a couple herbicides it's going to be on every herbicide and and you know there's certain areas that that are going to be dependent upon what species they're looking to protect they're going to be heavily regulated so Mm -hmm. uh, i think the biggest thing is to become informed on it first off and and see how you know how does this affect my farm and and the comment period has had expired in october okay so uh now it's just it's just going forward they're gonna they're gonna trudge this thing forward as as fast as they can to, to satisfy this lawsuit that they had and you are correct. And I was thinking the comment period was open. Too many things out there in my brain that I'm thinking about right now. So thank you for the clear. It's, it's hard to keep track of everything that's coming at us. It is. It is very, very hard to keep track of everything. Ed, another issue I wanted to ask you about, uh, Department of Labor, H2A. We've heard a lot of talk about reforms to that program or trying to get those and looking for that farm labor. What's some of the latest going on there? What are some things that you're watching with the uh, North Dakota Grain Growers Association? Yeah, we've been hearing concerns from our our members on how uh, labor is classified as as uh, just being labor or all of a sudden a farm labor is considered a truck driver if they're driving a truck and it's not just when they're in the truck it's all the time so you know on our farm uh everybody everybody's uh wears the same pants uh, you know if you, some days you're driving the truck some days you're driving a tractor running a grain cart or, or some certain things at harvest and and we need to have that flexibility for for people to uh to be able to do all tasks on the job. You can't, there's no farm out there that can hire a person just as a truck driver, just as a mechanic or just as a, you know, a certain job title. So when, when we consider labor, it's, it's everything that we need from, from day to day. And, and department of labor is trying to, of course, when they classify those job titles, they come with different wages. They come with more regulations, more paperwork to keep track of. And, and, uh, the big concern out there too is if I if I hire got this person as a laborer and they're running a truck for you know a little bit of time, then you have to pay them the truck driving wages or the wages of a truck driver, and and of course that sets you up from a time to are they going to go back on there and say well you didn't classify this right and look to collect wages back, and 
just a lot of uncertainty out there that that makes it difficult to to navigate that program. Very true. Very true. All right, Ed, before we let you go, harvest update real quick for us uh, for North Dakota and the Northern Plains. I know we saw some of that snow a few weeks ago. A lot of farmers trying to cross the finish line. How are things wrapping up here this fall season? Yeah, we're. Uh, I finished my corn here yesterday. Um, before the snow came, the problem was we got a little bit of freezing rain and we had to let that ice come off those plants and it just took a long time. There was about two weeks where we didn't hardly turn a wheel in the field. So we uh, we got things wrapped up, a uh, very nice corn crop out there. So now we still have uh, sunflowers to harvest. and So I had to make a little bit more room, which is always good, but uh, we'll continue on. Looks like the weather is going to hold for us. So we're thankful for that. Well, good to hear that you guys are getting uh, close to wrapping things up or getting wrapped up. And we appreciate the time, Ed. Thanks for joining us today on the show, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And once again, Ed Kessel, the president of the North Dakota Grain Growers Association, joining us here today on AOA. Appreciate his time. And uh, as I even got confused there, thinking about different comment periods that are open and not open. And uh, normally I'm a little better than that. It just goes to show, uh, to Ed's point, how much stuff is uh, out there right now being thrown at agriculture. A lot of the headlines, a lot of things to consider and take into account. And so uh, just uh, want to stay vigilant, make sure you're on top of things uh, and how they could impact your farm and your operation. So uh, great stuff there from Ed Kessel with the North Dakota Grain Growers Association. All right, uh, coming up here on AOA, we're going to turn our attention. Speaking of things that are coming at us and coming our way, we're going to turn our attention to what is going on in Washington, D.C. What is the latest happening on Capitol Hill? Are we going to get this one-year extension of a farm bill? Are we going to possibly get a new five-year farm bill done sometime either yet this year or early next year before the presidential election really ramps up? We're going to talk about all that and more with Jackie Fatka from AgriPulse. She joins us next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. We'll be back with more here on AOA Agriculture of America on the way right after this. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are mixed this morning. Beans are up just a penny or two. Wheat is down a few pennies led by spring wheat and corn is also down about four or five cents. Now overnight, the grain and oilseed markets were relatively calm. That's following the active selling seen yesterday after USDA issued what was construed to be a bearish crop report. USDA increased the size of the U.S. corn crop by 170 million bushels and then increased demand by 125 million. That kept ending stocks below 2.2 billion bushels, but there is still nothing bullish about that. Now the next best opportunity to excite the bulls would be a weather problem for Brazil's safrina corn crop that won't be planted for several more months. USDA bumped Russian wheat output by five million to 90 million metric tons, but the market had largely already been trading a similar figure. Now it largely offset that increase with cuts to production in India and Argentina. The USDA attache in India is several million metric tons lower than USDA's revised number. That's providing some more fodder for the argument that India may need to become a notable importer at some point, which could help to absorb some of the excess supplies coming out of the Black Sea. Quality problems are continuing to mount with Brazil's crop as well, which will likely increase its need to import milling wheat in 2024. So wheat has some potential for developing stories, just not yet a factor for the market with large supplies of cheap wheat currently flowing out of the Black Sea. The biggest mover after yesterday's WASDE report came out were the soybeans. It raised its U.S. yield, adding another 25 million bushels to the bottom line. That's giving a little more margin for error in the event that supplies do run out of Brazil ahead of next year's U.S. harvest. Now, Brazil does still have no notable supplies of old crop soybeans that it will carry over into the new marketing year. The VIX is still trading below 15 and crude oil prices are bouncing modestly following their recent collapse that has seen them wipe out roughly $20 off the price in the last 40 days. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Everyone has a community to lean on, a neighborhood, school, kids teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samsa.gov. information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Even as you're wrapping up that fall harvest season, make sure you get those, uh, on-farm tanks filled up with some of that Cenex premium diesel, or maybe you get some Cenex uh, premium diesel like Roadmaster XL for your uh, pickup truck going down the road. Find your nearest Cenex location right around the corner or online at Cenex.com. 
Well, let's turn our attention to what's going on in Washington, D.C. We got to fund the government here before the 17th. We also got a farm bill, either extension or a new one that we're trying to figure out. A lot of things still happening on Capitol Hill here with the latest. Jackie Fatka, associate editor with AgriPulse. Jackie, thanks for being back with us on AOA today. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for uh, having me back. And let's uh, let's dive into this, Jackie. Let's talk about what we are seeing right now in terms of, you know, I suppose first uh, we can't have a farm bill without a government that's open. So let's start there. Uh, what is what are things looking like heading into uh, the next looming deadline for a possible government shutdown here, Jackie? Yeah, well, you know, it's been a, it's been a few weeks since we talked. Uh, you know, since that time, McCarthy got ousted. They had a problem. Um, figuring out who the next Republican replacement would be. And, and really, McCarthy got ousted because he he d- made a deal with the Democrats to extend the government and give us some more time until November 17th, which is in one week. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was now a month ago now and uh, a little over a month ago. And so now they've been just trying to... to work through some of that. Part of that was getting a new Mm -hmm. speaker. This new speaker does seem to be pretty supportive of uh, finding a way to get the farm bill across the finish line. You know, a lot of hardline Republicans have tried to bring the SNAP funding and some of those harder work requirements into that discussion as well. I don't think he's quite as uh, friendly to that idea. I think he recognizes that that would, that, that is very divisive and, and could pull away what, what's going to need to be a bipartisan vote probably on the farm bill. Um, so yes, first off, we've got to, we've got to make sure that we get the government funded. Uh, that does not look like it's going to be individual, uh, packages. It's going to probably be another, longer term thing. There's a couple of different ideas that are being thrown out there. There's nothing solid that I've seen yet on on the actual direction. The, the latest reports have really been that he's going to do kind of a ladder approach. So um, mm-hmm. trying to do some, 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 uh, you know, in, in steps, right? And then if we sure. don't get something by a, a certain date, then instituting a, um, actually having some kind of penalty, right? To to force people to the tunnel, the table. I shouldn't say penalty, but just one um, percent across the board cuts, or or basically something to really incentivize folks to come to the table and and cooperate and get something across the finish line. So you know, this is a, a tricky situation because of the the small margins that you've got in the House. I mean, clearly we saw that those small margins were what one kicked McCarthy got McCarthy kicked off. But also, too, you know, we spent several, you know, 10 days trying to two weeks trying to get a new speaker of the House and because of those small margins. Mm-hmm. And um, but then, you know, you also look at the Senate. The Senate's got a, a very small margin. Um, and then the White House is in Democratic control. So, you know, this is not n- nobody has a, a mandate to be able to do sweeping things. And, and really, uh, hopefully they can they can see that truth and march forward in a way that allows them to function we'll put it that way oh no i great way to sum that up and in terms of this farm bill uh you alluded to it there a lot of talk a lot of it sounds like things have pivoted to trying to get a one-year extension done of the farm bill more so than trying to get a new five-year farm bill done i know some folks in ag are, are still heavily pushing to 
try and get a five-year farm bill done, even if it is early in 2024 before uh, the presidential silly season gets going, I guess I'll call it there. Uh, in terms of this farm bill, though, if we attach something to a continuing resolution to get the government funded and get a one-year extension, essentially, it seems like that's where a lot of the focus is of the ag committees on the House and Senate side right now, Jackie. Is that the case? Yeah, I, you know, I, there is agreement between both the House and the Senate, Republicans and Democrats, that the the CR, this expiration, the fact that something's got to be passed next Friday, that we could potentially put an extension of the farm bill within it. The the part that probably has the the most disagreement in trying to figure out how to to chart that forward. There's a lot of there's a, a 21 different programs within the 2018 farm bill that don't have a budget baseline beyond 2023. So this is almost $906 million of mandatory funding just during the farm bill. So that funding would go away unless they figure out how to do something. So some of that funding is for farm to food bank program. Some of that's for the feral swine education control. Uh, we've got the bioenergy programs and some of the biomarket stuff. Um, and so we've got a, a, a lot of the research programs, $235 million in research programs don't continue beyond that. So the, the challenge is, do you, do you fix it or do you not fix it so that there is more of an impetus on Congress to act early in 2024? And so I sure. think that's where a lot of the kind of backroom discussion is right now. Uh, where are some of the things that we need to make sure that maybe we fund? Um, are there things that we don't? Because if essentially, if you get a good one-year deal, then that could allow it to be a, a lame duck uh, solution next year after the presidential elections, which I think a lot of people are maybe banking on that that might be it. But I think uh, Chairman Thompson on the House side, I think he'd really like to see that not be the case. But he recognizes that it's probably going to be January before they can bring this up on the floor before they'd be able to have some time to work through it in the month of December. And so again, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of uh, questions on how much you, you put in the pot now and, and whether that takes some of the pressure off moving forward into 2024. And as you mentioned, presidential year politics always make it difficult. They do indeed make things difficult. And uh, I think a lot of folks in agriculture at this point, Jackie, I think everyone just wants some sort of certainty here, whether it's a one-year extension or whether it's a full new five-year farm bill. Uh, I, I think maybe more so than not, folks would rather this get done correctly than get rushed through. That's the that's the big thing I've heard from folks here over the last six, nine months. So I, I think at this point, it's just get some certainty, but also maybe take our time to get a full five-year farm bill done so it's done correctly. Is that kind of what you're sensing, Jackie? You know, but yes, but let's be honest. We know every five years, this expiration comes every five years. So it's one of those, it's the, same thing. it's the same thing that happens with our appropriations every year, all of a sudden it kind of s sneaks up on us and we think, oh, we need more time to work out the details, even though we clearly know how much time we're given. We have plenty of time to work mm -hmm. through it. But, you know, I think at this point too, you know, an interesting dynamic, uh, things in, in farm country aren't aren't awful. 
the 2018 farm bill wasn't um, a, a huge uh, a huge problem for a lot of people. So there's not a lot of rallying in the countryside. And, you know, I think that's reflected, too, that there hasn't been a huge push on Congress to to really get this finished up, to make some changes, because they're not asking for a lot of changes, right? I think we've been talking for over a year, really a couple of years now, that this farm bill, the 2023 farm bill, was going to be a uh, more of a, a tweak around the edges, nothing you, really revolutionary within this farm bill when you look back compared to other farm bills. And so I, I think that's another reason why we've not seen a huge push to to try to make this uh, happen ahead of the expiration because there's just not a lot of folks in the countryside that are banging on doors on Capitol Hill or calling up their legislators and saying, hey, we need this now. Yeah, that's a great, great point and um, a good way to kind of summarize that here. We'll just have to watch and see what happens uh, as we go through the next week or so and and forward from there. Jackie, before we let you go, any other final thoughts uh, you would share with us? Anything else you're keeping an eye on in uh, D.C. right now? You know, um, last week, uh, President Biden was was out on a farm in in Minnesota making a lot of yep. comments. And we talked about the presidential elections, right? It's a, it's starting. We are starting to see, you know, he's got kind of a two-week tour and a lot of his top officials, several USDA folks are around the country making different announcements, talking with farmers, trying to reiterate that rural message to, to those folks, talking about competition, talking about conservation grants, talking about energy. Uh, and so, you know, I would expect, especially here as we head into 2024, and it is, is assumingly the, the, the Democrat ticket would have President Biden on it again, we're going to see a lot more uh, money, right? Or promises in, in some of the money that's mm -hmm. been already kind of approved. And, and But now they're going to make these splash announcements and, and try to make that that case that they are really out there working for rural America. And so I think, you know, that's, like I said, that happened, started last week. And we're going to continue to see that moving forward for sure. Gotta love an election year. That is uh, that is what I take away from everything going on right now. Jackie Facka, associate editor with AgriPulse. Always appreciate your time and the conversation. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Jackie. We'll have you back on the show again real soon. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend. All right, Jackie Fatka there with AgriPulse, joining us with an update from Capitol Hill. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines, including more on the U.S. Commerce Department's decision to lower tariffs on phosphate fertilizer imports from Morocco. We'll get to that story and more coming up after the break here on AOA. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Back with more right after this. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. 
The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, No Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At Terramax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at Terramax. Visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Jim Levis, a CHS seed sales manager, about 2024 seed decisions. Jim, when should farmers start the seed purchasing process? The seed process actually starts way back when farmers are actually planting the crop. They're looking at what seed gives them the best vigor. After that, basically, it comes down to looking at that emergence, overall plant health, and down to yield. The actual sales process from our side, basically, we start looking in the month of August and farmers start making those decisions as the combines are hitting those fields. Jim, what new seed technologies will be available for next year? With some of the new genetics that are coming out, we're seeing VT4, which is a new trait. We're starting to see an increase in smart stack technology, which in 2024, we're seeing a new smart stacks pro that will definitely help with the pressures that we're seeing in 24 with issues like corn rootworm. As far as soybeans go with some of the new technologies, things that growers should be looking at, you know, is that disease package by hybrid. Growers, you all have the option to look at the Extend Flex or E3 technology and different ways to address those would be making sure you got good ratings for white mold score. There are some new technologies in soybeans for sudden death. Where could growers get advice on seed decisions? Growers can reach out to any CHS agronomist. We handle many different varieties and traits. If they reach out to any of their local agronomists within any CHS trade territory, they'll be able to get any of the answers they're looking for. 
We've been talking with Jim Levis, a CHS seed sales manager, about 2024 seed decisions here on Around the Table. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jesse. And thank you for joining us Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Baby, what do you say we just get lost? Well, many farmers, as they are wrapping up fall harvest, are making decisions already for the 2024 growing season and no doubt are looking at spots where they could probably save a little bit of money. Well, the recent Commerce Department decision on fertilizer imports, uh, according to the National Corn Growers Association, is saving farmers a lot of money. Welcome back to AOA here today. Jesse Allen back with you. The show brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, that U.S. Commerce Department uh, decision recently lowering the duties placed on phosphate fertilizers imported from Morocco. The NCGA saying this move gives true savings to farmers and access to critical inputs that have been scarce during the last couple of years as commerce lowered the rates from 19.97% all the way down to 2.12%. Now, NCGA President Harold Woolley says, quote, Farmers were already facing rate hikes on inputs and the duties were making the situation worse. This gives us more hope, end quote. Now, assuming that commerce finalizes those duty rates and imports resume, farmers could see a reduction in added costs of $7 per acre on imported fertilizer from Morocco. NCGA's analysis says many factors and dynamics contribute to changes in fertilizer markets and prices, but the imposed duty rates undoubtedly had an impact on the prices paid by farmers. Woolley added, quote, our advocacy campaign to lower the duty rates wouldn't have succeeded without our members. Well, geospatial technology is a way to find out more about the fields and accurate GPS coordinates combined with yield monitor data can now let scientists find out how much damage a windstorm may have caused. Amar Bandari with the USDA's Agricultural Research Service says it's simple technology. He saw recent wind events and wanted to check it out. We use a simple GPS unit to locate the wind damage points inside the field and connected that information with the yield monitor system, which uh, you know many uh, of our farmers already use that uh, with the combine during harvesting. And then we use that system to estimate the potential yield and economic loss. This technology allows for a site-specific reference tool. Bondari says the model they used found that for every 1% of wind damage in a cornfield, there were 26 pounds or half a bushel of production loss per acre. Now, prices have decreased about 29% since they used November 2022 USDA corn prices. So with that in mind, his research found on average wind damage was about a $76 an acre loss for 25% or less damage or a $232 loss per acre for 75% or more damage. However, we need to be mindful that the wind speed and other field conditions will determine the extent of the damage in the field, right? And there are so many factors, and these numbers may vary from one location to another location. Bondari says in recent years there have been abnormal weather patterns, so it's important to find different ways to quickly find out the damage done. And that's where we come up with these simple techniques to determine the field damage and how we can get that information to the producers and other stakeholders in decision-making to prepare for unprecedented severe windy storms and its impact on crop damage in the future. 
Now, because of natural disasters impacting farmers, Bondari wanted to help, especially with recent severe windstorms around the Midwest. He worries about the extent of damage that may go unknown. He's interested in making the best out of a bad situation by making sure farmers have a clear picture. And it is uh, important to note that you know farmers may not be able to see the extent of the damage just by driving along the edges of the corn field because the damage might have occurred deep inside the field, which we observe in our study as well. And Farmers might mistakenly believe their field did not suffer the damage, so you know we need to be cautious. And once again, that is Amar Bandari with the USDA's Agricultural Research Service. Well, American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall says he's trying to meet with House Speaker Mike Johnson to press for a new and modernized farm bill as soon as possible. We're reaching out now so that he and I can meet, possibly meet face-to-face real soon. And Duvall at the National Press Club this week said just extending the old farm bill another year isn't good enough. The farm bill can't continue on like it has to be modernized. It has to come up and reflect the true uh, reality of what's happening on farm when it costs us to produce it. Duvall argues it's Congress's job, not American Farm Bureau's, to figure out funding and says farm lenders are paying attention. That operating loan comes from a bank that depends on what the farm bill safety net looks like. A safety net that's also meant sustainability, producing the same on less land than 30 years ago. Through the research and development dollars that come through the Farm Bill, that go through our land-grant colleges, that provide us the programs and the knowledge of how to do that on 100 million less acres, using less of everything. Adding also to the importance of Farm Bill conservation programs, Duvall is encouraged that Speaker Johnson's committed to doing a Farm Bill as soon as December, despite the many issues he now faces. Yet Duvall acknowledges the reality of the clock and the calendar, that it will likely take a new year and push to get a new Farm Bill done. Well, the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program is a newly established project by the Commodity Credit Corporation aimed at providing funding for purchasing commodities for food aid and export market development. Steve Mercer, Vice President of Communications at U.S. Wheat Associates, explains the initiative. They are going to put forward a billion dollars to purchase commodities for food aid. In Africa, hardwood winter is one of the commodities that has been purchased and shipped to Kenya specifically and other areas in Africa, including uh, soft white wheat uh, out of the Pacific Northwest. Mercer explains the U.S. Wheat Associates' remission is to provide guidance and advocate for preserving the food aspect and food aid. RAP also includes a regional component that enhances export market opportunities and fosters better relationships. The countries where we have a very strong trade relationship where agricultural products move toward, this money would probably not be earmarked for that. But in those areas where we want to develop stronger relationships politically and otherwise, so probably Africa, Middle East, South America, possibly, you know, those areas. So we'll find out more about specifically those earmarks for those funding. And you can learn more about the impacts of the RAP program and much more. Just go online to uswheat.org. Again, for more information, just log on to uswheat.org. Well, we are out of time here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Coming up on our next episode, we will talk markets with Darren Newsom from Bar Chart. We'll also get a look at weather with John Baranek from DTN. And we'll have that conversation with Jay Deberton from CHS recapping their 
fiscal year numbers. So we're going to get to uh, all those conversations coming up here on the next AOA. Brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to AOA. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding, and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director Nancy Martinez. Think about this. Funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output produced by ag exports was over $300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SMD are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs. So the return on investment is over 24 to 1. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 